Welcome. Welcome to Fearless. I am Jason Whitlock. Happy Wednesday to you and yours. All right. uh, As you guys know, we've been dealing with COVID, the Delta variant, for the past week. Uncle Jimmy uh, has been down and out for about a week. Uh, I want you to keep Uncle Jimmy in your prayers. Uh, we, We think he's doing okay, but we certainly need your thoughts and prayers and support. Uh, as, as Uncle Jimmy continues to battle through it. On Wednesdays, we do our normal harmony edition of Fearless, and we bring on Pastor Bobby Harrington and Pastor Anthony uh, Walker. We're not going to do that this week also because of COVID. Pastor Bobby, uh, we've known this for a week or so now, but didn't want to bring it up or mention it, but he, he also uh, contracted covid He's fine, but we're going to err on the side of caution and delay bringing Pastor Bobby back into the studio until next week. But we do have a very special edition of of the Harmony episode of of this show because we're going to bring in uh, Ted Nugent, the rock and roll star, and we're going to discuss Harmony in, in a little different way. Uh, than we do with Pastor Bobby and, and, and Pastor Anthony, uh, but in an authentic way, in a way that I think uh, will reach some of you in, in a different way. Also, uh, Greg Couch will be on today's show. Uh, we're going to roll out to Chicago and talk to him about Tim Tebow. And, and that is connected to Harmony and, and Tim Tebow getting cut and people's reaction to it. Greg has a very strong take. We'll do that on the back end of the show. But first, I want to kind of walk you through the connection between myself and Ted Nugent. And so a few weeks ago, I can't remember, I'm on Glenn's show, Glenn Beck's show, and I try to, I start explaining to Glenn the connection between hunters and traditional American values and hunters and God. And the next thing I know, I look at my uh, cell phone or I look at my email and people are like, hey, Ted Nugent wants to talk to you. He heard you on Glenn's show and and he's got to connect with you. He loved what you were saying. And so here's an excerpt of what I said on Glenn's show that sparked Ted Nugent to reach out to me. We don't see the majesty of how small and insignificant we are. Glenn, I I had a friend that I went to high school with and to college with. He became a fireman. Uh, He's an avid hunter. He helped me understand exactly what you're talking about. He explained to me why he loves to hunt. And I think there's a lot of us that are non-hunters that we don't understand the process of hunting. Going out into the woods, being one with nature, sitting still for hours, waiting for something to happen. Yeah. And he helped me understand that his, his understanding of the world, sitting out in the woods for two or three days at a time, the, the majesty and the magic of what God created, you can only really feel that if you're outdoors, if you're still and quiet and observant for hours at a time, it helped 
me understand his experience because I'm I'm not a hunter. I'm not but either. There's he, no access to a refrigerator, and then you got to drag that thing out <laughs> to the car, and you're like, I, I mean, I've done all the work sitting out here. Can somebody else drag this thing back to be cut up into meat? <laughs> all right. So that was Glenn's reaction to me talking about the hunting experience. Ted Nugent had a different reaction and reached out to me. Let's welcome in Ted to the show from from Texas. And Ted, so Glenn heard one thing when I was making that description. What did you hear? Well, number one, I heard what Jason Whitlock always delivers, and that's truth, logic, and common sense. And I heard what I've lived 73 years, Jason. As a hunter, there's a deep and spiritual reverence for our participatory responsibilities as stewards of these precious resources that all wildlife, whether you eat it or you just like to see songbirds and listen to songbirds, we that is the canary in our quality of life coal mine, both literally and figuratively. But I think I may be the most glowing example, if I may, that I've been clean and sober my whole life because I've gotten high, I've gotten motivated, inspired, uh, stimulated by the natural fall hunting season and my my intellectual and spiritual responsibility to monitor wild ground, to maximize the support network of biodiversity for diverse wildlife, both game and non-game, even endangered species that thrive, including man. Our quality of life comes from quality air, soil, and water that is only produced by healthy wildlife habitat, which is the, the calling of our instinct to monitor God's miraculous creation, particularly the renewable protein part, and to use our intellect and our spirit power to make sure we stop pollution, we stop the pavement, we stop the development, not to the point where we interfere with man's pursuit of excellent life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, but in a balancing way. And remember, I not just, I don't only write crazy, wild, intense, dangerous rock and roll songs. I actually believe in them. So my musical Motown, James Brown influence of intense, wild, uninhibited, defiant music is one thing, but the soul cleansing powers, the healing powers of nature that my mom and dad taught me as a hunting family steered me through the insanity of the drugs and alcohol and nonsense and criminality that I witnessed in the music industry and in the entertainment industry. And it fortified me to make disciplined choices because I couldn't wait to feel that, not to kill the deer, but to feel the spirit of my relationship with the deer and the eagle and the songbird and the beaver and the muskrat and the coyote. There is a spiritual connection that you delivered and your friend, I think, inspired you to pursue a spirit campfire in a hunting camp with Ted Nugent. So, Jason Whitlock, the invitation is official because, my friend, it will cleanse the soul. I'm the wildest man since James Brown, but I am, Jason, I I don't mean to turn this into a monologue, but bear with me. I just said goodbye to justice and his family, a 19-year-old young man who is terminally ill, whose last wish in life, this morning, Jason, I just said goodbye to him. The Make-A-Wish Foundation for the 
something time, let me know that a dying child wants to go hunting with Ted Nugent. Well, at that emotional time in that family's life, why would they think of hunting? Because it's the ultimate down-to-earth, grounded connection to God's creation as he is about. I hope I can hold it together for you, buddy. As he's about to leave the earth and enter the spirit world. I hope the fearless viewers and listeners can grasp the dynamic that may be the mountaintop of human dynamics while on the earth. But here's a six-year-old, a seven-year-old little girl whose last wish in life was to go hunting with Ted Nugent. Do I need to explain that any further? Not really, but I'm going to elaborate a bit on your point, and, and, and not that you didn't do a wonderful job, but but what I what you're hearing from Ted and what you're hearing from me is for for me, what, what Ted is talking about and what my friend, my friend's name was Sean. Again, we went to high school together. We attended college together. He, he went I went off into the media lane. He went off into being a firefighter and and and, and becoming a hunter because his kids. He was he was not a hunter. But as he was describing to me the feeling of being out in the woods and being one with nature. Immediately, I heard it as a spiritual connection. And yes. so the way he talked about it was exactly the way my grandmother talked about her spiritual connection within a church. And yes. when the music gets to going and the preacher gets to going good and, and it makes you understand. And I've, to me, being a non-hunter, the only time I've, I've, not the only time, but the times when I feel that energy and emotion and connection to God is inside of a church, but there are other people that get that exact same feeling being at one with nature in the hunting process. And it immediately clicked in my mind like, hey, there's a connection between us, the hunter and the person, black, white, whatever, that gets that spiritual connection to God in a church, there's other ways to experience God just as powerfully. And so even though I've never hunted, I completely understood what he was talking about and I could completely see how it happens. When you're in the midst of God's majesty, what he created in six days, and it's like you're in the midst of it and living it and feeling it, you know there's a God. You know that man couldn't be in control of all this. No way we could have thought of it. And that's when you reached out to me, I, I, I'll tell you, I mean, you were, you're a big Glenn Beck fan. Obviously, I'm a big Glenn, Glenn Beck fan. In that, I, I, you felt it in a way that Glenn didn't initially. And it was like, oh my God, I got to connect with Whitlock. That's amazing. And I, I'm so glad you did reach out to me. Who would have ever thought before you called me that I'd ever be friends and talking with Ted Nugent and talking about our faith and belief in God and how we we come to that point through different roads and pathways. But we're actually at the same point and we have to. And that's what this whole fearless thing is about. 
That's what I'm trying to promote is trying to get people to see that guy you see decked out in hunting gear with a gun, a bow or whatever, fishing pole, whatever. You might have far more in common with him than you'd ever imagine at first glance. Well, Jason, the reason I reached out to you is because uh, your friend explained it to you and you grasped and embraced it and delivered it eloquently. And I've been doing this my whole life because I was thrust into what would become the culture war. And the tip of the spear of the culture war was this lie that animals somehow have rights. And we have a or an intellectual and again, spiritual responsibility to respect God's miraculous creation. But God's miraculous creation is not a spectator sport. We're not just supposed to watch it on the Discovery Channel or drive down the Yellowstone or the Yosemite trails and look at nature. We're supposed to participate. We are resource stewards. In the Bible, God says, take thy quiver and thy bow and get me some venison. Well, I couldn't have told you that when I was a little boy. My dad probably couldn't have told you that. Fred Bear might have been able to. He's a founding father of bow hunting in the modern world. But eventually I came to realize by balancing the herd and, and revering this precious renewable protein as food, you're making room for next year's fawns and calves and cubs and the, re, the renewability of God's miraculous creation. And I'm going to tell you, God bless the churchgoers, literally. But you know, those of us in the conservation world, hunting, fishing, trapping, we spend gazillions of dollars to manage wildlife based on God's science, the renewability, sustained yield, wildlife habitat carrying capacity. I'm just a guitar player and I never went to college. I was too busy learning stuff. And what I've learned is that there's a soulfulness to when you apply your samurai spirit of excellence in archery or marksmanship, the stealth factor to have a higher level of awareness, situational awareness, a reasoning predator so that you kill cleanly and feed your family and neighbors, not to mention the soup kitchens around the world with venison that is just so plentiful and so delicious and so good for you. So I was an organic guy way before Whole Foods because as a hunter, we're literally doing God's work. I'm making these renewable resources. Please manage them for healthy, balanced, and have a nice meal. I mean, it's so simple. Even guitar players can figure it out. So, Jason, you grasp your buddies. And I want to meet your buddy because it's no coincidence he became a fireman. Because if you want to find people that are helping people during storms and freezes and floods, you know what those camouflage boats are? Those are duck hunters. Those are fishermen. The people with the truck saving the people from the flood and the power lines down, they're wearing camel because those are hunting families. The epitome of the God family country law and order demographic will be found in licensed hunters around this country. And I couldn't be more proud of what we represent. And so, Ted, I want to pick up off a part of our private conversation where, you know, us just talking authentically as a black person who may not be into hunting, maybe because, again, I know a lot of black fishermen or whatever, but hunting to some degree, not our thing. But you helped me understand, like, well, hold on. 
if you ever experience it, it will be your thing. And if you really want to tap into the African hunters and you have been all over the world hunting and and it's like, no, Jason, let me educate you on your true heritage. You're right in there with us as hunters. If you fully understand your heritage, you've been all over the world at hunting in, in every every place they do it. Any elaborate on that point that you were making to me. You know, I've I've written uh, New York Times bestsellers. Uh, I've written for dozens of conservation magazine, hunting, fishing, trapping, outdoor lifestyle publications. And I've written so many articles about the aboriginal purity of living down to earth, getting your hands dirty, cultivating nutrition and life-giving miracles from the soil and from the woods and the fields and the streams and the mountains and the deserts. I've hunted the Sudan, Botswana, South Africa, Zimbabwe. And as much as I was influenced by the black heroes of music, Chuck Berry, Bo Diddley, Little Richard, the Motown Funk Brothers, James Brown, Wilson Pickett, I've paid homage to these creators of the most uppity, defiant, soulful, authoritative music, equal to my musical influences by these spirited musical monsters who broke off the shackles of the worst curse of mankind, of slavery, and then they wrote these outrageous, defiant James Brown and Wilson Pickett and Chuck Berry throttling songs. That music inspires all the best music in the world. And in the conservation world, what are we doing in America with the 20-some million hunting families? We're carrying on the tradition of those tribal natives that I got to share a campfire with in the Sudan, in Botswana, in Zimbabwe. And I watch how they carry themselves. I watch how they miraculously sneak up on a zebra or a kudu or an impala or a warthog. And they're able to kill these animals with a super samurai stealth awareness with a sharp stick. And they're able to track these animals. I don't even know what I'm looking at the ground. I'm going, what are you looking at? What are you tracking? I don't see. I see a herd of zebra went here through here. How do you know which one the stallion is? They know they never lost touch with that earthliness. The greatest compliment in the world, down to earth, grounded. That aboriginal Native African, Native American, I've celebrated the great white buffalo, Geronimo and me, spirit of the buffalo, living in the woods, loaded for bear. All my songs reference something about the great outdoors and God's miraculous renewable creation and consumers, stewards thereof. That, if you really want to live the black lifestyle, you're going to have to get a bow and arrow. I mean, you you got to return to that 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 native taking care of the tribe, taking care of the family. Um, be you you can't be a man as a as a as a warrior till you kill a lion with a spear. I mean, if that isn't manliness, if that isn't toxic masculinity, that's actually <laughs> spiritual masculinity. Because now you can protect your family, you can protect your goats and your cattle, and you can get meat. A lion is meat. A lion is medicine. A lion is clothing. A lion is tools. A lion is weapons. A lion is spirit. And when you, when you accept the gift 
of these wildlife resources, it means you really put your heart and soul into understanding your relationship with them. So it takes full circle to your comment about the sensations and stimuli you feel in church close to God. Many of us think that the ultimate church is the swamp. The ultimate church closest to God. When I'm 20 foot up in a tree stand, I think I might be closer to God. Um, It really is about revering this miracle around us. And as soon as you open up that deer to prepare the meat for your family, a, a big bang didn't make a liver. A big bang didn't make a gut pile. This is a miraculous creation and it's delicious and it's renewable. That's the heritage. So, Ted, I've been thinking, and we probably haven't talked in a week or so, but I've been thinking about our conversations over the past month. And and what I, I think I came up with how I want to brand our friendship and our relationship, because I'm definitely coming to Texas. We're definitely going to go hunting together. I'll definitely invite Sean along. But but what I want to call this is good old boys and homeboys. We got to get the connection between the good old boys and the homeboys and get each group to understand like, no, man, we got a lot in common. If you have any masculine energy, if you have any masculine energy, if you have any energy to energy to be a patriarch and a warrior for your family and a protector for your family, good old boys and homeboys, it's the same energy. We got to get past the packaging on the outside and look and see what's in our hearts and heads, what's in our character, what do we value. It's just like you and your music. Rap music has been about as masculine energy as anything that's ever been put into the atmosphere. There's a connection there between you and rappers. And that's why you're speaking so fondly of all the black musicians and entertainers that have influenced you. I think we have a great opportunity here to open people's minds. Good old boys and homeboys, let's come together. Let's connect over our shared masculinity and then hopefully over our shared faith in God because, and again, either we're going to drag you to church or we're going to drag you out into these woods. And one of these places is going to convert you either out in the woods, out in the swamp with Ted or inside a church, listening to some good old gospel music with me. We're going to get you to open. No, there's something much bigger than us as individuals running this good old boys and homeboys. You're going to be the good old boy. I'm going to be the homeboy and we're going to bring everybody together. Hallelujah, Jason. I have so many stories I could share with you. If everybody watching and listening would go to HunterNation.org. HunterNation.org is a nonprofit movement where we're galvanized conservative families by identifying, we actually have the list of every licensed hunter in North America. And we're communicating with these licensed hunters because we found out heartbreakingly that so many were not registered to vote. So many were not speaking up and putting pressure on their elected employees. Just the other day, I was at the shopping center with Shemaine. She went in to get some groceries, organic stuff to go with our venison. And there was a bass boat next to me. And I pulled my truck up next to the bass boat. and I rolled the windows down for the dogs. 
And I could tell somebody had a bass boat and a pickup truck and they were going fishing. Well, this Jason, this has happened so many times, especially at our Ted Nugent Camp for Kids charity, where across the parking lot comes a black family. And they're putting their groceries and they're putting the ice in the cooler and they're getting their fishing poles. And I said, congratulations. God bless you for having your priorities. Get out there and catch me some fish. Well, this black dude come up to me and goes, hey, look, it's Ted Nugent. And we we had the greatest conversation about hunting and fishing and dogs and guns and freedom and God's miraculous, renewable, slavage creation that they were going to go out and fish for. There is a bond that is colorless. And it's been my life, my entire life, whether it's the musicians I jam with, the black guy in my band, the Hispanic guy in my band, the gay guy in my band, it nothing matters except spirit. And even those who had never hunted, never touched a gun, never touched a bow, once you're in Ted's world, you're gonna touch a gun and you're gonna touch a bow and you're gonna eat venison and they fall in love with it. And Jason, I don't predict much but I predict the minute you are stirring coals around a campfire after a hunt, whether we kill something or not, because you're going to feel something when you see a creature or the eagle flies by or the squirrel runs past you. When we poke the coals with your buddy, Sean, around the campfire, and he'll reiterate this, he will get bright eyed and bushy tailed if you show him this footage and something will happen to you that you're correct. It has only happened to you in church when you felt closer to God. But now you're hands on, your boots on the ground in God's creation. That's the, that's the spirit of the hunting lifestyle. And I'm going to tell you, I'm a crazy rock and roll guy. I've written the greatest, most outrageous, high energy, forehead, vein popping music in the history of noise. But the the way I charge my batteries and remain on a true North Compass setting, which is why this dying young man wanted to spend the day with me. And it sounds like I'm bragging, but I'm bragging on behalf of the hunting culture. They all reference, I want to go hunting with Uncle Ted before I die. That's that's so powerful of a statement because I'm a loudmouth. I'm a wild man. I'm unapologetic. You you talk about fearless. I could have had a show called Fearless. My life has been fearless where I defied the cultured numbnuts with their drugs and their alcohol and their nonsense. And it, it, the spirit of the woods is like an old good friend. He'll make you feel warm and good inside. That's a lyric to my Fred Bear song. And that's what this young wanted. This young man wanted me to play that song for him today. And I did. And it took every ounce of strength I had to continue the song because it's about my dead friend, Fred Bear, about my brother, John, and my dad, my mom. And it's about this young man that won't make it through the hunting season. So I can't wait to stir those coals with you, both literally and figuratively, but we have to make it happen. My Camp for Kids hosts uh, camps, charity camps with great volunteers, and there's always some black kids. And when we get them to the archery range, when we get them to the, the rifle range, when we get them in the fishing hole and the bobber, Jason, it's a spiritual awakening, not unlike a baptism. 
And it literally, re- it brings back their heritage and their focus to how you get high on being aware of nature and being an ally to nature, being, being an asset to nature, not a liability. So there's a lot going on, but I've done it my whole life and I can't wait to get a bow and arrow in your hand. It's going to, it's literally going to, you're going to have a very special moment. I promise you. In fact, I'm right down here in my Ted. basement and I shoot my bow and arrow every day. I have a target and it cleanses my soul and it will cleanse your soul. Then <laughs> look, as excited as you think I'm going to be with a bow and arrow in my hands, if you really want to see me catch the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues, you got to put a fork and a knife in my hand oh, I and promise. put some season, well-seasoned cooked meat. If you can cook, Ted, and you put a fork and a knife in my hand after we kill some deer or whatever, some venison, and if you properly season that meat, trust me, I'll speak in tongues. Jason, you have no idea. I, Ted Nugent, am your barbecue daddy. I mean, this, the, the reverence <laughs> we have for that hard-earned protein, that venison haunch, that backstrap, that tenderloin. My wife and I, we don't, we don't eat. We celebrate the hard-earned venison that we killed ourselves, that we handled ourselves, that we aged ourselves. Every meal is a sensual mountaintop adventure. I I mean, that sounds like hyperbole because there's no other way to express it accurately. Jason, you have no idea what your taste buds are capable till Uncle Ted slaps a backstrap on some mesquite coals for you. I'm going to change your life. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, listen, I I do want to address this seriously because some of my listeners, uh, again, and you referenced this earlier about being one with nature and living out a life that God has planned for us. And it made me immediately think of the animal rights people that you got to respect the animals. And it's like, well, hold on. Do we even understand animals that they're predators and they go out and eat and kill other animals? And we're actually just doing what they do. (laughs) They feed off of other animals. And so I would like explain to the people that think we're being you're being cruel. Hunters are being cruel. We're not respecting animals. I don't eat meat. Uh, and I do eat meat. But I'm to the people that say I don't eat meat. I don't eat anything that's been killed by man and blah, blah, blah. Explain to them why they're wrong and why they're actually in disobedience to God's will. Boy, I'm going to uh, twist some heads off here right now because I'm going to share with you what I shared with Joe Rogan. And we were bombarded in avalanche with response because I said something that no one has ever said and no one has ever heard before. And let me make note that I love my family. I love my family with all the love God has given me, including my son Rocco, who's just the most wonderful human being you'll ever meet. And he's hardcore vegan. He won't get downwind of my grill. He is hardcore vegan because of a digestive complication and because of a personal choice. Perfect. But Jason, grasp what I'm about to tell you. If you wanted to be responsible for the most death possible, 
if you wanted to kill the most living things possible, you would go vegan. Because in order to safeguard that bean field, that farmer will take the disc and the plow and dismember anything, every snake, every shrew, every gopher, every ground squirrel, every ground nesting bird, every frog, every turtle will die to prepare for the tofu field. And then if anything slithers back into that field after the farmer has prepared the tofu salad field, he will come in with a Monsanto battle cry and poison everything that jeopardizes the tofu. Every vineyard operator friend of mine, and I have many, anything that dares to enter that vineyard so that maybe some animal rights fundraiser can have a glass of wine, every sip of every glass of wine is literally slaughtering thousands of things because that vineyard operator that I've actually participated in, they poison every raccoon, every possum, every skunk, every gopher, every woodchuck. They kill every bird that enters that vineyard because it jeopardizes the grapes. There is a war, a very effective war on all living things to save vegan salads. That's not conjecture. That's not an opinion. When I operate my tractor in the spring and I'm disking the fields, crows and seagulls follow me because my disc has cut in half and dismembered everything in those thousands of acres. So the birds follow my tractor to take advantage of the dismembered animals so they can eat them in the wake of my bean field preparation. How come they don't teach that in schools? How come the animal rights people won't admit that? Because they don't believe in animal rights. It's a scam to play on people's emotions to save an animal, and they've never saved squat. If you want to save animals, operate a farm or a ranch and go organic harvest the surplus deer and turkey and the elk and the antelope and the bears to bring balance, eat those natural renewable resources, and don't don't grow cattle. I, I salute the farmers and ranchers. Everybody likes beef and lamb and chickens and pork. We love, we love the ducks. We love all that stuff. But hunting is the most personal, hands-on, responsible way to manage wild ecology for diversity health and balance. Hunting, fishing, and trapping is about health and balance. Magnum Farms, God bless them, the world wants a billion chickens this week, but you're not gonna find pheasants or deer on that chicken farm. So if you wanna kill the most things, go vegan, because we're gonna kill everything that threatens your beans. Mm, love it. Hang tight for me for one minute, Ted. I want to change up the discussion a little bit, talk a little bit about your personal journey from rocker to passionate Christian, talk about you being clean and sober for so many years. Hang tight with me for a minute. I got to pay some bills. I want to tell you about my good friends at Good Ranchers. 
over good ranchers, things are truly fantastic. Their steak options include porterhouse, New York strips, and fillets. Their chicken breast options come pre-season in different individually wrapped packages. Your local grocery store cannot compete with the flavor and taste you'll get from them. This is truly some of the best steak and chicken I've had. Good Ranchers safely delivers American craft beef and better than organic chicken right to your door. If you subscribe, you will get $20 off and free express shipping. Get steakhouse quality for less than $5 per meal. Go to GoodRanchers.com slash fearless to get $20 off and free express shipping. I can't wait. They're telling me that our barbecue grill is finally arriving at the studio tomorrow. We're go First thing I'm gonna do is pop open me some Good Ranchers beef and chicken and we are going to feast tomorrow here at the Fearless Studio. That's GoodRanchers.com slash Fearless. Welcome back. Let's continue on with the Motown's rocker, Ted Nugent. Ted, welcome back. I, I, I want to understand your journey a little bit better. I, I got to be honest, as a kid, I remember Cat Scratch Fever, uh, but that's about it. I was mostly into uh, R&B and, and maybe rap a little later in my, in my youth. Uh, but I do remember Cat Scratch Fever. But walk me through, into, did you grow up in the church? Was your family religious? How, how, you go from wild rock and roller to wild rock and roller, but hardcore Christian as well. Take me a little bit through Ted Nugent's journey. Well, you know, what a what an adventure it's been. <laughs> it's more adventurous every day, I got to tell you, Jason. I was born in 1948 in Detroit when it was the work ethic, productivity, family, God, law and order, be the best that you can be epicenter of planet Earth. I mean, when I was born in Detroit, we were the arsenal of democracy. Hallelujah. It was Detroit that built the howitzers and the tanks to defeat the evil empire of Japan and the Nazis. And that spirit of good over evil was the atmosphere and the environment that I was raised in. My dad was a World War II vet of the United States Army Cavalry. He was a drill sergeant. And my disciplined life came from my drill sergeant dad, who I did not appreciate in the early years. But boy, if you met my brother Jeff and my sister Kathy and my late brother John, and all our family, all our kids, all our extended family, my incredible wife, Shemaine, who was also born in Detroit. That spirit of being the best that you can be has stayed with us forever. So that was right when uh, Les Paul had electrified the guitar, say hallelujah. And that was when Motown was unleashing this soundtrack of freedom and and spirit and and it, it, the the musical excellence the musical authority of the mighty funk brothers and so as a as a natural instinctive fan of what the electric guitar was delivering via Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley and what little Richard did <laughs> talking about defiant it struck a chord in all of us and i think no matter what musician you would ever talk about with certainly all the great 60s and 50s, 60s and 70s artists, um, that black Chuck Berry, Little Richard, uh, certainly James Brown, Wilson Prickett, the Motown Funk Brothers, it, it influences us to this very day. So I started playing guitar by the time I was five or six. 
and I was raised hardcore Catholic. I went to Christ the King High School, uh, grade school, and we went to church every day. And my mom packed a fried egg sandwich so I could have, uh, uh, I could uh, go to church every morning. And so I was raised in that environment where you just obeyed the Ten Commandments and you thank God for life every day. And I was also raised from birth as a bow hunter. So my dad never articulated that we're functioning responsibly as participants in God's miraculous creation. But eventually I came to grips with that reality. That's really what the hunting lifestyle is about. It's about genuflecting at the altar of God's life-giving, renewable pantry. Uh, whether it's venison or or just good air, soil, and water, or the fish from the waterways. I was raised in that environment. So by the time I was exposed to the beatniks and the hippies with their drugs and their drinking, I was the ultimate candidate for rebellion because my dad was so strict. God bless the great man. Boy, we didn't like it at the time. But knowing that getting close to a deer with a bow and arrow and learning Chuck Berry's incredible guitar licks, I don't know, I don't know if you can hear this, but to this day, the <laughs> How do you not love the difficulty of learning Chuck Berry's firestorm? of electric guitar maneuvering. So I knew that if I would have drank or smoked, I didn't even know what dope was. I had no idea what marijuana was. If Not until I was in my 20s, I don't think. But I knew if I partook in that, my dad would have beat the living crap out of me and I wouldn't have been able to get close to the deer and I wouldn't have been able to learn Chuck Berry's lick. So it was a pragmatic decision to remain clean and sober. I've always been clean and sober. No drugs, no alcohol, no tobacco, no stupid food in stupid quantities. I got to eat good. I got to sleep good if I want to get close to a bear or deer or a turkey with my bow and arrow. And you may have noticed, Jason, I'm a rather uppity individual. The worst hunter in the world is an uppity individual. So I have to let the uppityness deliver my musical dreams, but then I have to shut up, breathe easy, and return to what I call, I have a song title, I have a podcast, I've written songs and, and books, the spirit of the wild. And your buddy Sean expressed, and you expressed to, to uh, Glenn, that with a bow and arrow especially, you sit in the woods for days and you better be super quiet. You can't move. The goal is to experience wildlife before they know you're there. So we are reasoning predators, morality-wise and conscientiously, to be so proficient that we don't harm the animal. We accept the gift by killing it cleanly, killing it ethically, making the shot that will take that life in the most harmless way possible. The, the, the best death in the wild is from a bow and arrow. 
The worst death is probably from a cougar or a bear or an eagle because they don't care if they wound the fish or wound the fawn. They could care less about hurting an animal. They just eventually want to kill something and eat it. We don't want to hurt the animal. We want to kill it cleanly. And as Cochise, I think um, uh, Geronimo might have said that the Native Americans have, I've, I've got a book here with their quotes, that if you put your heart and soul into being a conscientious, effective, best predator you can be, the great spirit, God, will give you the gift of a close shot that you have to earn through stealth and awareness. And that's where your food, clothing, shelter, medicine, tools, weapons, and spirit comes from. That's why the hieroglyphics always show a guy with a spear and a stag, because that that indicated that you were able to protect and provide for your tribe, your clan, your family. It, it's, it really, I can't, I, if you want to trace the problems in America, trace it that no school has ever taught what I just told you. And Ted, I think you're a thousand percent accurate. I do though want to ask you, because as a kid, I'm taking in your music and I'm, I live in Indianapolis. I have family in Detroit. We go up to Detroit and visit. You're known as the Motown Madman. And I am. And so as a yeah, and but as a kid, Motown Madman, rock and roll, I would just assume like, man, this guy's the Rolling Stones of rock music. He's out partying every night. And how did you, and again, I hear you say you're dead, but how can you be so immersed in that world and still have the strength, fortitude, resolve to not partake in what everybody else is doing? I think at my core, I'm a defiant son of a bitch. I think at my core, I have been a critical thinker before the term was coined. And again, when I was subjected to the beatniks, that was before the hippies, um, they were, I didn't know what they were smoking, but they were gagging and boogers were coming out of their nose. <laughs> Spittle was in the corner of their mouths. And I'm trying to play a Chuck Berry song and they're offering me this cigarette that they're gagging or they're drunk and they're stumbling and they're falling down. And eventually I told Jimi Hendrix he was going to die. I told Bon Scott of ACDC he was going to die. I told John Belushi he was going to die. I told Keith Moon he was going to die. I spent the night, at, I spent two nights at Studio 54 in New York City with Keith Richards, which completely defies my entire battle cry of being clean and sober. <laughs> He's like a Monsanto test animal uh, to each his own. But clean and sober is the only way to say thank you, God, for this day. And again, back in 67, 1967, there was no Make-A-Wish. There was no charities for dying children. But an 18-year-old kid named Jason contacted my booking agent, Diversified Management, Dave Leone and Nick Karras, 1967. And he was dying of, of, of leukemia. And his last wish in life was to go hunting with Ted Nugent. And I went, huh? Okay, what's his name? Where should I meet him? Okay, I'll, okay, we'll do that. So I got a 22 pistol, and we went into the woods of the, uh, the, uh, the state land over by uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. And we went for a walk in the woods looking for a squirrel. We never saw a squirrel, but we, we practiced with the pistol. And we talked rock and roll. We talked girls. We talked uh, life because he wasn't going to see his 19th birthday. 
how do you not appreciate every day? And why would I want to partake in the procedures by which all my musical buddies are dying? So you think gagging and puking and dying is a party? How much dope do you have to smoke to think that insane suicidal thought? So I was always critical because I wanted to make great music. You listen to my Amboy Dukes music. You listen to the Ted Nugent bands. You listen to my new record, Detroit Muscle. You listen to the damn Yankees. We are tight. We are focused. We revere the musical creative process, and we put our heart and soul into it. And if you're stoned, you haven't got a heart and soul, with all due respect because you're giving it away. When you're clean and sober, you're an asset to your fellow man. When you're stoned or drunk, you're a liability. Case closed. Ted, did you ever think of making or have you made any gospel music? Well, I've made some beautiful songs. I have a song called Leave the Lights On. My brother John, a great man, he passed away two years ago and And when Fred Bear died, I I would like to think I'm going to get you a copy of the song Fred Bear, a great man who was the the inspiration for modern bow hunting, taking us back to that close encounter and discipline of understanding our relationship with nature and the deer. And the song Fred Bear erupted in me, as all my songs do, after Fred passed away in April of 88, after we shared the last campfire together. And you know what, Jason? I think it's a gospel song. I think it's a love song to those that we say goodbye to and we hope to see again. And I would like to play that song for you around a campfire sometime because it's what this young man, Justice, 19-year-old young man today, it's what little Macon Lynn, six-year-old, didn't make it to his seventh birthday. He wanted to meet Ted Nugent, go hunting, and hear the Fred Bear song. You know what? I think it's a gospel song. That's what I think. Let me ask you this. You, you've, you've described your religious faith and it comes over from your uh, Catholic upbringing. You called yourself defiant. You've called yourself a critical thinker. Uh, I guess it was only natural that at some point you would get involved with politics and have very passionate thoughts about politics given your upbringing. Or was this or were when you were 18, 19, were you thinking about politics, speaking about politics? And it only became popular mainstream here in the last four to eight years. Well, remember, I graduated from the American anti-education system. So I was basically clueless (laughs) talking about mushy brain. I was like the poster child for mushy brain, except for work ethic and musical focus, again, inspired by all those masters of music that inspired all the greatest music, all the greatest bands, all the greatest musicians. So I was single focused, well, multi-focused, but limited to probably musical adventure and, and excellence, the spirit of the wild in my bow hunting pursuit, and girls. Those were my three focuses until... I started doing interviews on rock and roll radio around 1965 with the Amboy Dukes because my music is so energized and we had, we're like a 
firestorm of high energy. We wanted to be James Brown so bad we couldn't stand it. So we played really throttling, grinding rhythm and blues rock and roll. And so all these rock and roll radio disc jockeys would ask me, well, how do you get up like that? I'm sure they were seeking to find out what drug I was on because they wanted some. And I said, well, you know, I shoot a bow and arrow and it really focuses, man. It's the origins of Zen and the samurai path of your life. And these rock and roll disc jockeys, they were all high. They're going, huh? And I go, yeah, I shoot a bow and arrow every day. And I just had had a great weekend hunting deer up in Michigan with my dad and my brothers. And they'd go, wow, man, you like murder innocent animals? And I went, murder innocent animals? Have you ever heard of cordon blue? I went, How about barbecue? Does that ring a bell? So they started attacking me for being a hunter. And when they found out I carried a gun, because I'd also talk about aim small, miss small marksmanship, I didn't know it was political, but it was the first volley of the culture war where they would attack me for doing two perfect things, hunting and self-defense. And I go, yeah, I carry a gun. I got a clean handkerchief and a, a pocket knife too, and some guitar picks and a, and a, and a, and a chapstick. <laughs> I'm like a Boy Scout. Why? So you don't believe in self-defense? Are you nuts? Well, man, like guns, man, like just start shooting everybody. So Jason, I suppose that was my awakening that the two perfect things, self-defense and wildlife management, I was being attacked, and of course. Being a smart ass like I am and being reasonably witty, um, I was able to turn the tables on them and just expose their stupidity while never being mean about it, but just explaining what renewable protein is and how if you're unarmed and helpless that evil people can do whatever they want to do to you, but if you're armed and capable, you can neutralize evil and survive. Find fault with that. And then the big epiphany, that, that escalated every year more and more attacks because I killed innocent animals and I carried a gun. And and I'm a member of the National Rifle Association, probably the most important civil rights organization in the history of the world, because if you don't have self-defense, you don't have any rights. And then from my buddies, and of course the Marines and the the Navy SEALs and the Army Rangers and the Green Berets would all get a hold of me because they hear me talking about Second Amendment rights on the rock and roll radio and standing up for it instead of everybody else in the rock and roll world condemning the Second Amendment. So all these heroes of the military and law enforcement would find their way and we'd end up going hunting, it might be at concerts together, you know, hang out together, train together. And... They started sharing with me what happened in 79 at the uh, Iranian embassy when the U.S. Marine warriors were put in charge of security on the embassy steps, but they weren't allowed to have ammo for their M-16s and therefore were taken hostage by a bunch of idiots, by a bunch of punk kid idiots because a U.S. Marine warrior was put in charge of security without ammo or rules of engagement to perform security. 
And I, they were so angry, and they shared that with me. So I started talking about that on the radio, and I started writing about that. And then, of course, Rolling Stone dirt bags and Huffington Post dirt bags and and Salon.com dirt bags and Wikipedia dirt bags and all these leftist Marxist dirt bags would attack me for standing up for America for standing up for God, family, country, constitution, bill of rights, declaration of independence, man in the arena work ethic, law and order. I was like the only guy that would stand up for that stuff. I think I still am in the entertainment world. Some of them will allude to it, but nobody's gone on the offensive like I have. And that's why Pierce Morgan got his head removed by my truth, logic, and common sense. And none of the other side will ever debate me ever again because I hand them their guts because I stand for good stuff, they stand for bad stuff. So that's political. I'm a we the people guitar player and I'm experimenting in self-government. And if you try to stop me, I will crush you. Mm. And I'm so glad that you're that kind of fearless. Obviously, there's a lot of blowback when you take the kind of stances you're talking about and, and there's a and particularly in the Hollywood music industry, it's it's help me. Why? Well, why? I'm sure you hear from other entertainers, particularly in the music world, who totally agree with you. Totally. Why are they afraid? Why are they afraid to stand with you? Jason, I have great friends in the music industry. Nobody really salutes or acknowledges the incredible work ethic of these bands and these artists. They have an incredible work ethic. They tour and they record and they're away from their family and they sacrifice a lot of important things in life to hone their craft. So I salute them for that. And I could give you not just some A-listers, I could give you the top 12 A-listers in the music industry who are dear friends of mine and they go, God, Nugent, thanks for standing up for that stuff. I'm sure as hell not going to. And I go, well, why not? Well, those leftists, they buy all my records. Well, what if the founding fathers felt that way? What if people who stood up for freedom said they won't stand up for freedom because they got to sell a record? So I chastise them and I scold them and I beseech and I implore and I beg and I scold. You've got a bully pulpit. You believe in conservation. You believe in the Second Amendment. You live, you exercise the Second Amendment. Man, bring it up in your next interview. Do it in a polite, nice way, but let them know that if gun control takes over, the rapists will celebrate. If there's more gun control, the child traffickers will celebrate. The bank robbers and the carjackers celebrate gun control. Just say it. And I'm not kidding, Jason. They, they live and believe what you and I live and believe, but they literally have lost their soul. They won't stand up. So I feel alone out here a lot, but ask me if I care. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn up the heat because the, the heat needs to be turned up now more than ever. So some people, and this, this happens to me as a black man, because I'm not, I don't wear Barack Obama pom-poms, you know, I get ripped and criticized. And again, 
I rarely talk about Barack Obama, uh, President Obama. I, 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 I rarely talk about him. I certainly don't make it a point to criticize him. I'm someone that's skeptical of all politicians, and he, to me, is just seems typical of all politicians. They'll Amen. do whatever they can to uh, maintain and acquire power. Uh, but, but it's as dangerous as it is for me to express, to, to not express uh, love of President Obama, it's even more dangerous for you as a white man to be critical of President Obama. You've taken a lot of heat that I believe unfairly uh, for that criticism, but based off everything you're telling me right now, I don't think you have any regrets about taking that heat uh, because, and what happens a lot of times, when you live a life where you're truly free of a bigoted heart and spirit, it provokes you just to be more honest because you're totally comfortable with who you are. You know that your actions aren't driven by racism or bigotry, and so you're just far more comfortable letting the chips fall where they may, and that's why when people attack me, oh, you're a sellout, you're an Uncle Tom, I'm like, no, I'm not, and I'm not even going to address that bullshit, to be quite honest with you, because it's so far removed from the truth, I don't have to address it. I'm sure you share a similar sentiment. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if after you've aligned yourself with Ted Nugent, they might call you a white supremacist. <laughs> and you know what you. I'm going to tell them? I'm a Jesus supremacist, and I'm good with that. But continue. Go ahead. <laughs> well, bottom line is I'm, I'm, I'll be 73 this year. I've been clean and sober my whole life. I care. Um, I put my heart and soul into being the best that I can be so I can provide for my family, safeguard my family, be an asset to the world, an asset to my family, my neighborhood, my community, this great country, my fellow man, the good earth, God's miraculous creation. And I am virtually colorblind. Everybody I know is virtually colorblind. My band, my crew, my hunting buddies, my family, my friends, my neighbors. I hang out with the biggest rednecks on planet earth. I might be the biggest redneck on planet Earth. And we are virtually colorblind. We we just don't care. We don't care about any gender confusion. We don't care about your religion. We don't care about your diet. We don't care about anything except do you show up on time? Do you carry yourself with pride and honor? Do you get the job done to the best of your ability? I'm surrounded by every imaginable variation of mankind. And it's, I feel unnecessary, but in this culture war of everything is uh, uh, gender and color based by the real racists and the real homophobes out there, I hang at my bass player, Johnny Gunnell, is a black guy. My bass player, Marco Mendoza, was born in Mexico. My uh, some guy on my crew is gayer in the South Southeast breeze. Caitlyn Jenner was my buddy when he was Bruce Jenner. I mean, nobody, nobody cares. Nobody, nobody cares about anything except content of character. So everybody who knows me knows that. There was a little black kid at our Ted Nugent camp for kids a couple years back in Iowa. And a lot of my volunteers are uh, law enforcement and just great families, entrepreneurs, mom and pop businesses. 
and they reach out into the inner city and they look for kids that are having troubles. Um, doesn't matter their color, a kid that looks like he needs an extra hand up, they invite him to our children's charity. And this little black kid, I think he was nine years old, was in the crowd, and I'm talking about the spirit of the wild and being clean and sober. And when you put your heart and soul into it, it makes your mom happy. And when you put your heart and soul into it, you, you, your day and being the best that you can be, you go to bed at night with a smile on your face, and you can't wait for tomorrow. And when I was done, this little black kid come up to me, and he hugged me and was crying his eyes out. because. And he said through his tears that it was the first time he's ever felt he was loved. Because we don't care about anything except your spirit, about your character, about your goodwill and decency and punctuality and, and, and effort and work ethic. And I, that's, that defines my life throughout my life. So until the race baiters, I, I, don't, I don't know if there's any hope for them. If, if, there, if there really was an organization whose title was honest, and if that title was Black Lives Matter, and it was an honest title, they would move to Chicago. They would set up camp in Chicago, and they would probably get... Um, I don't know these famous athletes because I'm not a spectator sport guy. LeBron James. How about LeBron James goes to Chicago and gathers all these inner city kids and go, just be good. Just, just stop at the help wanted sign. Carry yourself with dignity. Don't hurt each other. Don't rob each other. Don't shoot each other. Don't stab each other. Let's all love each other. Do you know that LeBron James could probably save 10,000 black lives this year? But instead, he's fanning the flames of the system by which they're slaughtering each other. Jason, my brain rejects this insanity. And so we try to help people who are trying to help people. And there's a bunch of charities out there in our camp for kids. There's another one, fullcircleprogram.com, fullcircleprogram.com, taking on this substance abuse fentanyl, fentanyl, fentanyl attack head on and saving young people's lives, fullcircleprogram.com, a charity where young Americans are helping save young Americans. And there is no color. There is no gender consideration. There is no ethnicity or religious or diet. We just want to help our fellow man. That, in my world, Jason, it's ubiquitous. And so to be on here with you, who I'm honored, by the way, because every time I see you open that mouth of yours, you represent the truth, logic, and common sense that makes America great every day. That everybody who sides with you and me are rock solid in the asset column. Be the best that you can be, care about your fellow man, make sacrifices so that you can help your fellow man. And it's, it's, it, it, I, these are treacherous times. This is a treacherous administration. We are facing treacherous policies. So we've, again, HunterNation.org. It's not about hunting. It's about God, family, country, freedom, law, and order. HunterNation.org. We're galvanizing an army of conservative families to put pressure on our elected employees 
to get law and order, work ethic, love and compassion and empathy back into policymaking. And we did it in 2016 and we did it in 2020. And as soon as we get the voting fraud fixed, we're going to do it every year. We'll end on this note, Ted, because you made me come to a realization throughout this conversation. And, and I think it, it ties everything together, particularly where you just ended the conversation talking about professional athletes, LeBron James, and how they could make impacts in some of these major cities. And so, and, and jump in here, or I'm gonna hand the ball back to you and we'll end on this note. The thing that I'm hearing and putting together in our complete and total conversation is like, man within his nature is to hunt, dominate, kill what he eats. There's a masculinity, a connection to God in it, and, and what we're seeing, I think, play out in a lot of inner cities are, are, is misdirected masculinity. And rather than hunting what God has intended us to hunt, animals, we're looking at black kids in the inner city hunt each other. And just think of how many lives we could save if LeBron James or any of these athletes would connect with Ted Nugent, would connect with hunters.org, and we started teaching kids hunting in the woods, in the air, in the, in hunting things that we're supposed to hunt, eat, and kill. If we directed that masculine energy that direction, how many lives could we save? What type of cultures could we change in a more positive direction? And I'll just go back to, again, that's why I want to continue with our relationship and let's be a voice and a symbol that like the good old boys and the homeboys, we have common ground. Let's come together. Let's learn from each other and let's send these young people in a better direction than what they're going now. Let's teach them how to properly focus their masculinity and let's teach them a safe way to hunt and, and, and feel that masculine energy than rather than hunting each other in their communities over, over drugs and small areas of turf. Jason, I have the evidence that supports 100% your statement, because it's not a hypothesis, it's not a hunch, it's not a presumption. Many years ago, I'm gonna think back in the early 90s, uh, the great Kirk Gibson, a great hunting buddy of mine, a great, one of the greatest athletes ever, and one of the greatest guys ever, we were witnessing what was going on in Detroit, just a cultural suicide, just a, a, a genocidal maniac black on black slaughter going on. So we reached out to the Detroit Police Department and we put three busloads of inner city kids and they happened to be 100% black kids. We discovered that most of them were single parent households, if that, and they were all brought up in that atmosphere of gangs and crime and taking advantage of situation, taking advantage of each other, disrespecting each other. And they came kicking and screaming. They didn't want to come out and hunt with the redneck Motor City Madman Detroit guitar player, but they had a respect for Kurt Gibson. They knew about his athletic prowess. And most of the Detroit cops that put it together were black. So they were able to organize this three busloads of kids to come out to our ranch in Michigan. We got a lake and a river and a swamp and a woods, and we got thousands of trees, which I plant every spring since 1969. 
little seedlings of coniferous and deciduous trees. And of course, all these black kids were, they didn't want to plant trees. That isn't cool. We don't, we don't want to go fishing. We don't want to shoot a bow and arrow. They were really, it was really like pulling teeth. Jason, within minutes of putting that little shovel in their hand and showing them how to kick it into the earth and grabbing that seedling and plunging it into the earth. They were resistant, resistant, and it was like you threw a switch. They couldn't wait to plant the next tree. I thought they were going to get in a fight over who got the shovels. And then we took them to the pond, and they were reluctant to figure out how to throw a line and watch the bobber. Jason... When the bobber started bobbing, all you saw was teeth and eyeballs. Those kids, they discovered an original culture in their spirit that they had been intentionally disconnected from. Even though the Detroit River is the greatest walleye and smallmouth bass fishery right next door to their neighborhood, but nobody took the time. Though that full day, we went from like sunrise to sunset. Jason, I cannot gather enough words to adequately describe the transformation that we witnessed that day. And there were a lot of tears at the end of the day because something really clicked inside of them. They all wanted to go fishing. They all wanted to plant trees. They all wanted to walk in the woods and discover flora and fauna. They all wanted to see that bald eagle fly over the lake and pick up that. They, they just didn't know they wanted it. So, yes, let's work together. I want you to join me at the Ted Nugent Camp for Kids next year when we put it on. We do it in, in, uh, in Iowa, Nebraska, uh, Colorado, South Dakota, and we're doing our first Ted Nugent camp for kids in Texas next year, and and watch the transformation from the the apparatus addiction to the spirit of the wild, and no, the most resistant kid falls in love with it because it touches them deep inside, and that's I think your and my goal is to is to unite for that, and we literally can change the world. One gaggle of children from one gaggle to the next gaggle. And I've witnessed it. The camp, Our Ted Nugent Camp for Kids charity, this is the 31st year. And now there are parents bringing their children who were the first children back in 1990. So it's contagious and it's a perfect cure for the culture war, the culture, the, the cancel culture the mean-spiritedness, the divisiveness that is being cultivated by media and academia and Hollywood and big tech. And we're just two guys, but boy, I bet we got the spirit and the attitude and the, 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 uh, the uh, will and the, uh, the fortitude to make this happen. So Jason, I'm honored to be invited into your life and I'm honored to communicate with your uh, fearless gang here. And I say we cultivate this and uh, move forward with it. Ted, I'm definitely going to be there next year, but I want to be crystal clear with you. Before 2021 closes, we're going hunting. I don't yeah. want to wait until next year. I, I'm, I'm, my invitation to go hunting with you needs to happen sooner rather than later. 
Jason Whitlock, I've got your number. You're a marked man. You are now officially the Ted Nugent Spirit of the Wild backstrap blood brother. And whether it's at my swamp in Michigan or this beautiful Spirit Wild Ranch home in Texas, you and your buddy Sean, we're going to get together. It might be with some other hunters in camp because I guide hunters every weekend through the fall. And I think that's what we will do. You need to see my hunting buddies. You need to see the guys and gals, the families that book hunts with Ted Nugent and the 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 goodwill, the positive attitude, the entrepreneurial spirit, because it costs money to hunt and the gear, the licenses, the fees, the travel, the food, the lodging, the hotels, the groceries, the guns, the ammo, the bows, the arrows. It's unbelievable. And you will see a section of mankind and you'll go, I knew it. I knew there were great people out there, and the greatest people have a hunting license, I promise you. Ted, thank you for the time. Thank you for a very special edition of my Wednesday Harmony episode. This is a different kind of harmony. We're going to get the good old boys and the homeboys connected. Thank you so much. We're going to do it again. All right, uh, you guys need to go to YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock, hit that subscribe button, hit those likes, hit the notifications. Listen, I'm gonna call an audible. I know I promised you at the beginning of this, we were gonna bring Greg Couch on to talk about Tim Tebow. Not gonna do it. We're gonna, we're gonna start tomorrow's show talking about Tim Tebow, and we'll probably mix in a little uh, Megan Rapino conversation. So Greg will be with me at the top of tomorrow's show. I just don't, I don't want to do anything to disturb or distract from the conversation Ted and I just had. So if you guys are, are listening, you can start playing my girl tomorrow because you know what? I don't know if we can top what Ted and I just did over the past hour. Well, we can't top it. Tomorrow can top it. That's why she's singing right now. You guys know I love tomorrow and love this song. Uh, happy Wednesday. Keep my man Uncle Jimmy in your prayers. We'll see you tomorrow. No negotiation, my sister, no relation. We all just want to have freedom. Sitting on a corner, never been alone. I'm breaking my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back. We are receiving all the seed when we all want to be free. We want freedom. I just want, I wanna be, I just want, I wanna be, I just want, I wanna be, I just want.